So before John comes and shares with us, let me read our Bible passage. And if you want to follow along with me, then I'm reading it from the Gospel account of Matthew. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and that he would send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and played their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. John, I invite you to come and let me pray as you share with us. Father, I give thanks for John and his ministry and we pray a blessing over what he is going to share with us now. Father, we are ready to receive. We are thankful and we are grateful. Come and speak through John, through your word now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you for your invitation, Zoe, Luke, to preach today. Um, it's great to be here. Um, the crowd is down a bit. I don't think it's because I'm preaching. I think it's because our gala are playing. Okay. Um, and so a few people have gone there, and we pray for God's blessing on them. Right. Um, <clears throat> we all know what day it is, and uh, Lydia did a great uh, reminder of that to us a little bit earlier on. It's Palm Sunday. Entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. A few days before his passion, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, and then a week today we celebrate his resurrection. This event that we're looking at today highlights a characteristic or a trait in Jesus that he exhibited throughout his earthly life. It was present in him in the events of Palm Sunday and uh, he took it with him to the cross. It was the quality, the attribute of gentleness, humility, and vulnerability. It was present in Palm Sunday as he rode a donkey into Jerusalem. It was present at the Last Supper as he washed his disciples' feet. 
It was present in Gethsemane as he prayed, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And his gentleness and his humility was present as he died on the cross, broken, bleeding, and in pain for the sake of each one of us. And I wonder what your response would be to this question. Are you a humble person? Are you somebody who is characterized by humility and meekness? Now, the greatest, when we say that word, we probably think about a character from literature. You know I'm thinking of, don't you? Uriah Heep, okay? Uh, David Copperfield. Little bit of acting here on my part. Oh, Master Copperfield, I am very humble, very humble indeed. Okay, don't judge me on me acting, will you? Uh, but his, his uh, humility was self-seeking. He kind of wore it as a badge. He wanted people to treat him in a particular way because he was very humble, he said. That's not godly humility. Godly humility is coming before God and acknowledging our brokenness. Acknowledging our need of him. Acknowledging that he has everything and has done everything and we desperately need him in our lives. When I ask the question, are you a humble person? I'm asking the question, are you willing to come before God in brokenness and humility and in meekness and acknowledge your complete and utter need of him? We'll think more about that a bit later on. I want to initially just to focus on the first few verses, verses 1 to 7. And uh, there's a word in sort of biblical uh, interpretation called hermeneutics. And Luke and Zoe will be familiar with that. And it's a word that means interpretation in the service of meaning. Meaning. So I say to myself, what do these verses mean? What is the message in them for us? What is the meaning of these verses? And we might look at this story of Jesus sending a couple of disciples into Bethage to get a donkey for him and to bring it back and to bring back the foal of the donkey and then he rides on it. You know, is it just a piece of narrative or does it have a meaning? Does it have a purpose and a purpose for our lives today? And it's that that we want to explore. And I want just to draw to your attention four ways in which God works or shows himself in these verses. Now, don't don't worry, because these are not four long points. They'll be, they'll be, they're microwave. They'll be, done, they'll be over in a couple of minutes, all right. Okay, and the first one is this. In this, this part of the story, we see divine providence. God has a plan that comes to fruition. Now, these two disciples were sent into Bethage, and... There are these two animals tied up and someone says, what are you doing? And they say, the master needs it. You know, what's all that coincidence? 
had someone, and this is, this is what the liberals will tell you, somebody had gone along and organized it beforehand. None of it. God had put it in place. A God who makes plans and whose plans are fulfilled. A God of providence. And in fact, and we think more about this in a moment, this was a plan that was first thought about hundreds of years before and prophesied in the book of Isaiah. And so when we ask ourselves the question, what is the meaning of these events? We are first confronted with the plan or the providence of God. Secondly, we're confronted with the provision of God. For a moment when Jesus needed a donkey, God provided a donkey. Miraculously, through his plan and through his purpose, God provided that very significant means of transport that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Thirdly, there's a divine paradox here, or an antinomy. Two things that uh, look irreconcilable, but are equally true. Jesus is to ride the donkey. Jesus is to ride this symbol of meekness and humility. And yet, he is Lord. And yet, he is master. He's the leader. He's the head. He is God in the flesh. And it looks like a contradiction. Someone of that stature, someone of that importance, riding a donkey. But it was true. And it's characteristic of Jesus, who is both Lord and Saviour, who is both God and man. And fourthly, there is divine prophecy here. It says in verse 4, this took place to fulfil what was spoken by the prophet. And then we move into a quote from the book of Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 9. And those words there back in the Old Testament in Zechariah were prophesied or predicted in the 6th century BC. So 600 years before, 700 years before these events took place. Zechariah was a priest and a prophet. He was amongst those who returned to Babylon from Judah, the southern kingdom, in 538 BC. God was preparing his people. A king will come to you. His mount, what he rides into the city, this king, his mount will display his manner or his approach or his method, that of humility and meekness. One commentator writes this, if Jesus had any special purpose in riding into the city, it was to make it clear to all beholders that he came for peace and had no intention of exercising force. The king in Zechariah 9.9 is a man of peace. Now let me tell you what did not happen on this morning. And again, you see I'm given to theatrical things. There's a bit of theatre in this. Okay, are you with me? Yes, you're with me, good. 
It did not happen like this. Jesus and his disciples went into Greater Jerusalem Equine Hire. And this is the place where you hire animals uh, to ride around Jerusalem. And Judas, because he kept the purse, went up to the counter. And the rest of the disciples and Jesus went to one side. And any of you have hired a car when you've gone on holiday, it's like this, isn't it? One person goes to the desk and everybody else stays at the side with the cases. Well, Judas went up to the counter and he said, I'm with Jesus. And he pointed over his shoulder. He was hoping for a special service because he was with Jesus. And uh, he said, I'm with Jesus and we would like to hire a horse. And if you've got a war horse, that would be particularly helpful. And if you've got a white war horse, that would be incredibly wonderful. And the guy looked down at his computer and he, what's wrong? What's that? He tapped the keys and he looked up and he said, I am terribly sorry, but we are right out of white war horses. There has been an absolute run on those animals this morning. I'm terribly sorry. You know, we've got festival time in Jerusalem and everybody wants a horse and a war horse and a white horse. So we haven't got one. And all that we have got left is a donkey. And a few days ago, she had a baby. And if you're going to take the donkey, you have to take the foal as well. Well, I want to, it was a bit silly but I want to say to you, I said all that because it did not happen like that. The donkey was not the last resort. The donkey was not what Jesus rode because nothing else was available. Jesus chose a donkey to act out or to convey how he was coming into Jerusalem in meekness and humility. And not only in how he would come into Jerusalem, but how several days later he would die on the cross. And God the Father owned or endorsed Jesus' action for those divine providence, divine provision, divine prophecy, those things remind us that this was something that was in the heart of the Father and in the plan of God. The Apostle Paul writes, wrote of Jesus to the Philippians these words, Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That means to be held on to but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, better translation, slave, being made in human likeness, made himself nothing, is better translated, he emptied himself. And part of that emptying, part of that making himself nothing, was that although he was God and he could rightfully claim all the wonder and glory and power of heaven, he didn't hold on to it. But he laid it aside. He took on human flesh. 
be welcomed humility and meekness and vulnerability. The way that the crowd reacted towards Jesus clearly suggested that they had other plans or other ambitions for him. And there are two historical events that I just briefly want to tell you about that uh, lie behind how the crowd welcomed Jesus on this day. Jehu uh, became king of Israel in 841. So that's kind of 900 years before these events took place under Elisha's instruction. And his becoming king set the nation of Israel free from their evil and oppressive king whose name was Ahab, who had a famously nasty wife whose name was Jezebel. You're with me. Jolly good. So Jehu becomes king and sets the nation free from their uh, evil and uh, barbaric reign. And how did the people welcome King Jehu? Well, it's here in 2 Kings 9.13. It says this, They hurried and took their cloaks and spread, their, uh, spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew their trumpets and shouted, Jehu is king. And when we look at that historical context, we can see why the people welcomed Jesus with their cloaks in the road as they did on Palm Sunday. And here's the truth. The crowd longed that Jesus would set them free. from an, Sorry, the, the crowd longed that Jesus would form an army and take up a sword and set them free from the Romans. And the second historical event was something that happened in the intertestamental period. That's the bit between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament. In 169 BC, Antichrist Epiphanes, who was a Greek king, desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to banish everything Jewish and make it Greek. He sacrificed pig's flesh on the altar. Now that was an absolute abomination because you know that Jews regard pigs as unclean animals and they'd have no contact with them and never, ever allow them uh, any place in the temple. There was a place in the temple under Antichrist Epiphanes where you could offer uh, offerings to the Greek god Zeus and the temple chambers were made into public brothels. He wanted to stamp out Judaism and its religion. Then four or five years later, in 164, Judas Maccabeus led a Jewish revolt. He took back the temple and rededicated it with fasting and joy. The reaction of the people was this. Listen to these words. Therefore, they bore branches and fair boughs and palms also and sang songs unto him that have given them good success 
in cleansing his place. The crowd on this first Palm Sunday would have given anything for Jesus to deliver them from the blasphemy, not of a Greek king, but of the Romans who asked them to say, Caesar is Lord. God's way culminating in the cross was not worldly power and not the use of the sword. God's way culminating in the cross was meekness and humility. God would win the greatest victory ever with weakness and vulnerability. The prophet Isaiah wrote of Jesus' sacrifice. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as like a sheep before his shearer is dumb, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus went to the cross without an argument and without a fight. He allowed himself weakness and vulnerability. And yet he won the greatest victory ever over death, the devil, and the grave. And he did it all, not with a sword in his hand, but with a lash across his back, with a crown of thorns on his head, humbly accepting all that evil men could do to him. Jürgen Moltmann asks this question, do I allow myself to be judged by Calvary? I take that to mean, do I allow myself to be shaped, to be challenged by the cross of Jesus. Jesus entered Jerusalem in humility and died a week later, the suffering servant. And I believe God's question to each one of us today is this. Will I enter this holy week, this year, today, now, Will I enter Holy Week and approach Easter with brokenness and humility? Allowing Jesus to be who he is himself in me. And listen to this. If you've heard nothing else I've said in the last 20 minutes, listen to this because this is the most important bit. Jesus' humility and meekness was a place from which he offered love and grace to all of humankind. That is Calvary. Our humility and weakness is a place from which we receive Jesus' love and grace. That's you and me today. Listen to what the scriptures say. For the Lord delights in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We don't come like Uriah Heap. Our humility is not self-seeking. Our humility, our brokenness, spiritually opens a door for Jesus to be himself in our lives. For us to know more of his grace and his presence and his touch. And I want to just challenge myself and every one of us here today. Are you prepared to come today and to say in the words of that great top lady hymn, Rock of Ages, third verse, simply says this. It'll be very familiar to you, but it's so appropriate today. Nothing in my hands I bring Simply to your cross I cling. Naked come to you for dress. Helpless look to you for grace. Stained by sin to you I cry. Wash me, Saviour. I've got no other hope. Nothing else to cling on to. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. We're going to move into a time of response. Hopefully, God has spoken to you in the last 20 minutes. Now is your chance to speak to God, to respond to him. And we're, I'm going to invite you to respond by, if you want to, if you're willing, just coming forward. Now, we do it slightly differently today. We've got members of our prayer team here, and I'm, when I'm not here, I'm in the prayer team. But nobody in the prayer team is going to pray with you unless you request it, okay? Because this is going to be just a moment between you and God. Nobody else is going to be involved in it unless you ask for somebody else to help, okay? Somebody else to pray with you. But I'm just going to ask you to come forward and just to say in your heart to God, nothing in my hands I bring. Lord, I come humbly. Lord, I am nothing. Lord, I come vulnerably. Lord, I need you. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to your cross I cling. Just, I ask you to quietly pray that prayer or something similar in your heart. Just to enter this week, holy week, preparing yourself to receive more of God as we move up to next weekend and the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. No one's going to come up to you, say anything to you, invite you just to come forward, pray that prayer, make yourself vulnerable to God. Your vulnerability makes you receptive to his grace. That's the important thing. Just come up, pray that prayer, go back to your seat. If you'd like someone to pray with you, they will. I'll ask the band to come up, uh, if you will, and they will play and we will sing. Uh, but uh, as we do that, uh, I invite you just to come forward, just to say, Lord, Jesus, as you came humbly into Jerusalem, king on a donkey, I'm coming humbly because I want to receive more of you. Let us pray. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-loving God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us even today. You're a God who speaks to us. And Lord, your longing is that we might draw closer to you. That we might know more of you. That we might open our hearts to you. 
And Lord, we remind ourselves that Jesus' place of meekness and vulnerability was the place from which he gave his love to humankind, to us. Our meekness and vulnerability is the place that we receive that love and that grace and that mercy for more of Jesus. Lord, we don't want anything to be of man in these next few moments, of man or woman. We want it to be all of God. And Lord, I just pray now that you'll touch hearts of men and women in this place, and that men and women will come forward and say, Lord, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Jesus, give me more of you, I pray. In his name we ask it.